guys, it's Joe. I thought I'd come back from semi-retirement for a moment to have a little chat. When was the last time you celebrated a milestone? I know, I know there are so many of us who do celebrate wins like a new house, a new job, a book release or new partner, new whatever. But there are so many of us, me included, who simply don't celebrate our wins, especially when you're a childless woman. I largely ignore birthdays. I rarely celebrate a book milestone. I have published, I think, five books I've celebrated once. Or maybe you had a great day at work or great day in your business or you have an anniversary and you sort of keep it down low. I don't know. That's what I'm like. I didn't even go to my last university graduation. I didn't. On the other hand, when you're a parent, this is what I see. I see all of these milestones that everyone celebrates. New baby, baptism, first step, first word, first day at school, first girl or boyfriend, first graduation, first marriage, first grandchild, you get the drift. But I feel like that when I celebrate something, I feel like I'm bragging and showing off. Do you feel the same? You can actually leave me a voice message to let me know. So anyway, I'm going to get braggy today as I celebrate a pretty big milestone for me. Today, I'm sharing an episode of my other podcast, Save What?, which is all about the words we say and why we say them. I go through history, pop culture, music, television, celebrities, true crime, feminism, you name it. Today, I'm going to bring you one of my favorite episodes about the word hysteria. And with everything that's happening around the world right now that's affecting women, I can't think of a better episode to share with you right now. So if you like the sound of this, subscribe to Say What. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And in the meantime, enjoy. Hi, word nerds and history geeks. You're tuned in to Say What? 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 A few years ago, this happened on one of the most popular current affairs shows in Australia. We have to stop creating these these binary men are this, women are this, masculinity is this, femininity is this. But on the receiving end is the ludicrous proportion of women yeah. who do I endure violence. I think you're just being hysterical. It's probably my ovaries making me do it, Steve. <laughs> I was reminded of this incident when I was watching the last episode of Dexter New Blood yesterday and I started screaming hysterically at the final scene and it reminded me of the comment made by Australian journalist Steve Price, the one you just heard. And I was telling Jeff about it. Hi Jeff. And I realised there are a lot of people who still don't know why it's not okay to call a woman hysterical. So I thought, well, why not investigate? So let's go. I'm Joe Vraka. And each episode, I'm going to rub shoulders with the glitterati of language where we'll learn that some of the more colourful and even, dare I say it, humdrum words that we use every day have remarkable origins. From true crime to music and pop culture, religion to social movements. Where do words come from? Who came up with them? Who polices them? What is the secret history of the words we use every day? Let's find out. It's funny, isn't it, how we use words every day or commonly and we just don't know their origins. I'm not talking about, you know, vanilla words like bread or laptop. I mean words that are now so far from their original meanings, like humour or bugger, and controversial words and sayings like basket case or moron, and today's word, hysteria. 
When you think of hysteria, what comes to mind? Is it this? Morning, Mrs. Parsons. Oh, good morning, Doctor. This is Dr. Granville. You'll be assisting me this morning. Notice the general pallor. And how are we this morning, Mrs. Parsons? Still feeling anxious? It's quite anxious, Doctor. I've been having those distracting thoughts we discussed all week. Yes. As throughout history, the medical establishment has offered hysterical women a veritable smorgasbord of treatments. Warm baths, ice baths, water jets, mesmerization, horseback riding even. That audio is from the 2013 film Hysteria, starring Maggie Gyllenhaal. Let me set up the scene. Based on supposedly true events, Hysteria is really a story about the invention of the vibrator. Set in 1880, we see a rather charming young Dr. Mortimer Granville inspecting his patient's rotting feet, putrid bedpans and leech-covered wounds. He's a thoroughly modern doctor who confounds his nurses and head medicos with talks of germ theory and science. Fired from his job at the Westminster Hospital in London because of all this poppycock, Dr. Granville has no job and no prospects and finds himself in the dark wood panelled and purple velvet wallpapered waiting room of Dr. Robert Dalrymple filled with well-dressed ladies. Melancholia, anxiety, frigidity, it's a problem that can be solved, says Dr. Dalrymple, who has treated, and not killed, thousands of cases. Dr. Granville is hired and the appointment book is quickly filled when the charming man takes over some of the older doctor's patients because, as he says, hysteria is a disabling condition suffered by half of the women in the city. Dr. Dalrymple believes that the most effective treatment for hysteria involves laying a woman on her back with a lovely red velvet curtain for modesty, grabbing some oils and giving them a vigorous digital massage. A woman comes into the office with extreme nagging thoughts and departs, well, cured. This is not a podcast about how the portable electric massager was invented. If you want to know more about that, head over to Netflix where you can watch the feel-good movie Hysteria. It's hysterical. So why was Hysteria classified a woman's disease? Is there any truth to the film? Well, yes and no. Until 1952, female hysteria was a valid diagnosis for women exhibiting the following symptoms. Insomnia, anxiety, shortness of breath, sexual desire or lack of sexual desire, irritability, fainting, a general air of independence, raucous behaviour and even infertility. Oh shit, I must be hysterical. We know today that these symptoms of the hysteria disease are just normal signs of a functioning woman or man for that matter. Today, we obviously know more about the human body than the ancients. We know, for example, that the uterus isn't just wandering around in a woman's body like the ancient Greeks and Egyptians claimed. They thought the womb was a wandering animal within an animal, moving around and pressing against the internal organs, creating pressure for the hysteric. The word hysteria comes from the Greek hystera, which is womb, and hysterikos is of the womb. The term hysteria was coined by Hippocrates and the cure was sex and odours, but we'll get to that. 
In the article, Women and Hysteria in the History of Mental Health from 2013 by authors Tasca, Rapetti, Carter and Fadda, it suggested that the first incidents of hysteria occurred in the times of the ancient Greek gods. While on the Argo, that's the ship that Jason and the Argonauts used to go and get the Golden Fleece, the virgins on the ship, they were there for good luck, revolted and refused to honour the phallus and they ran off. The Argos physician Melampus cured the virgins with herbs and convinced them to have sex with the Argos strong young men. Of course, this was proof for Melampus that women are mad because their uterus is poisoned and suffers uterine melancholy. Poor sad uterus. In the Euripides myth, such madness was cured and prevented with wine and orgies. In the Greek comedy Lysistrata, Lysistrata convinces the women of warring cities to withhold sex from their men in order to force them to negotiate peace. Shenanigans ensue and a magistrate arrives and tells the men that their women are clearly hysterical and he blames the men for not keeping them in line. According to the book Hysteria Beyond Freud, the cure for hysterical suffocation a couple of thousand years ago was scent therapy. Let me set this up for you. A lovely scent would be placed under the vagina to attract the uterus to move down and a horrible scent would be placed at the nose to push the uterus back down. Do you see what I'm saying? It would go down because of the bad scent that it didn't like and it would come back up and then it would go down to the nice scent. I mean, this is ridiculous. Anyway, sneezing was also seen as a way to get that pesky wandering uterus back in its box. Now, in a rather strange twist, female semen, as it was called, was considered thinner than male semen and needed to be released from the body or it would turn toxic. This was known as the widow's disease. Some suggested that childbearing would also cure the disease. Which brings us to another interesting word, melancholia. It was suggested that hysteria caused melancholy. Or wait, was it melancholy that caused hysteria? So hard to keep up. Here's a thing. Lack of marriage leading to lack of sex meant that women could not ejaculate all that unnecessary fluid and it would drive them to hysterics. Obviously, masturbating was a no-no, so what was a lady to do? The suggestion that women were weak leading to such disorders intensified with St. Thomas Aquinas who claimed in the 13th century treatise Summa Theologica that Aristotle was right and woman was a failed man. (laughs) Oops, sorry, I let my ovaries have a word in there. At this time, hysterical women were treated with exorcisms as well because it was considered possession until the Inquisition when hysteria became just plain heresy. In 1637, Spanish physician Abraham Zucato wrote that unless a woman was lascivious and therefore unable to be cured, she should ask her parents to find her a husband to alleviate this hysteria frenzy, you know, so she could release all that toxic fluid. It was not until the 18th century that advances in science and medicine started to consider the brain to be responsible for hysteria. Nonetheless, any behaviour that made men feel icky was still considered a sign of hysteria because for women, our sex makes us more vulnerable and predisposed to such flights of fancy and emotion. 
you'd be forgiven for thinking that the hysteria diagnosis is a thing of the very distant past, like corsets and rose swans. But really, Freud was researching the condition into the late 19th century. Now, French neurologist and hypnotist Jean-Martin Chacot considered the founder of modern neurology specialized in hysteria. Chaco originally considered hysteria a neurological disorder to which women were predisposed, although he did argue that the condition could be found among men as well. But the doctors were loath to diagnose men with hysteria because obviously it was a woman's disease. Nonetheless, Chaco worked with several famous hysterics who increased his social and scientific value at the time. One of these was Marie Blanche Whitman. Born in Paris in 1859, Blanche Whitman was known as the Queen of Hysterics. One of eight siblings, Whitman survived five of her siblings, who died of epileptic seizures. She was deaf and mute after a number of seizures and failed to attend school. Her father was committed to an insane asylum, and her mother, she used to throw water on her children as punishment. Now, if all of that isn't tragic enough, Whitman continued to face challenges, including attempted rapes and what we now consider rape of a minor. She had relationships with older men when she was around 14 and then she sought asylum at a convent at 15 when her mother died but she was asked to leave because of her seizures. The nuns just couldn't cope with her. She eventually found work at La Salpetriere, a teaching hospital in France, and was later admitted as a patient to the epilepsy ward when she was 18, where she was treated by Jean-Martin Chacol. The poor woman was put through an extraordinary series of tests and regimes, including hypnosis and the administration of electricity Blanche Whitman remained a patient of Charcot until his death in 1893, but before he was done, she was turned into a spectacle. Charcot would parade her out during his weekly lectures where actors and dancers would study her tics and seizures for their art. That treatment with electricity I mentioned was particularly useful during demonstrations and photo sessions because it made things a little bit more dramatic, you know? Now, check out the painting by André Briere from 1887 titled A Clinical Lesson at the Salpetriere, which depicts one of Charcot's lectures. It's been claimed that Charcot treated hysteria with clitorectomies, vibrators and electrocution of the genitals. But this has all been debunked, although he did use the ovary clamp. I'm sorry, I could not bring myself to investigate that abomination. If you do, report back, but no pictures, please. What we know now that we didn't know a little over 100 years ago is that symptoms covered by the hysteria banner were actually symptoms of PTSD. For example, a woman who presented with the compulsion to close her eyes and unable to reopen them was married to a pedophile. The woman who suffered from hallucinations and anxieties had been sitting up all night for some time with her dying father. In 1895, Sigmund Freud published studies on hysteria along with physician Joseph Brewer. He wrote that trauma and the memory of trauma that is not dealt with manifests as physical symptoms. He said that every symptom of hysteria, like convulsions, amnesia, and the rest of it, hid trauma. But that didn't stop women of the Victorian era from carrying around bottles of smelling salts just in case their emotions became the better of them. When the 
First World War saw the return of soldiers who exhibited similar hysterical symptoms to women who had not been to war, the treatment of symptoms began to change. The study of mental trauma and PTSD took a serious turn. So while hysteria stopped being linked to Our Lady parts, it was still written into psychology texts and taught until 1980. Have you heard of mass hysteria? No, not the French heavy metal band, but the psychogenic illness. That's an illness that starts in the mind, also known as a delusion, and ends in the body. Unlike mass delusions, mass hysteria involves physical symptoms like the dancing plague and the meowing nuns. Meow, 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 meow. The dancing plague occurred in July of 1518 in Strasbourg, which today is in France. The dancing plague involved hundreds of people spontaneously dancing until they became injured, and some literally danced to death. The plague lasted two months and ended as suddenly as it began, without reason. But the meowing nun plague is my favourite incident of mass hysteria. In the Middle Ages, a nun was beset with the need to meow, which led to other nuns meowing until the entire convent was a meowing mess and they meowed together at the same time every day. It's said that they stopped meowing when soldiers threatened to beat them up. It's also suggested that mass hysteria is what led to the Salem witch trials, which saw a number of young girls who began to have fits and were accused of heresy and witchcraft. Women who exhibited hysterical symptoms such as sexual thirst and an unwillingness to marry were deemed possessed by demons. I'm speaking from the roof of broadcasting building. And let's not forget the very real radio play from 1938, War of the Worlds, when thousands of Americans believed that the world was being attacked by aliens. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. In 1962, the Tanganyika laughter epidemic closed down schools when a few girls started to laugh for days on end and it spread throughout the school along with other nearby schools. Now here's what I think. Many of the incidents that have been termed mass hysteria, such as groups of people suffering seizures, nausea, dizziness, sneezing fits, evil clown sightings, involves mostly girls and women. Because science and medicine can be truly sexist. Am I right? Yes. 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 Now let's not forget that the suffragettes were caricatured in newspapers around the world who claimed their desire to be treated equally, to have the vote and to own property and not be property, were deemed to be militant hysterics. London doctor Sir Elmroth Wright claimed that self-esteem poisoned the suffragettes, but a bit of rest and a husband could cure them. But while they were resting, they were discouraged from reading, writing or speaking so they could lead a simple domestic life without all that namby-pamby intellectual stimulation. In more recent times, like in the last few years, those attending Me Too marches were called hysterics. And anyone who opposed Donald Trump openly was seen to be suffering with symptoms of hysteria. Now, remember what Trump said about Fox News host Megyn Kelly? She 
gets out and she starts asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions. And, you know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. In the 20th century, diagnoses of hysteria have declined as we have learned more about mental health disorders and about the way that oppressive constraints placed on women can affect us. I've talked about the treatment of hysteria throughout today's episode, but I thought it might be worth running through them again, just in case you missed them. Therapies have included the compression of ovaries, hydrotherapy, hypnotherapy, electrotherapy, rest, isolation, more sex, less sex, suggestion, hysterectomy, polentopoltices, I swear I'm not making that up, exorcism, psychiatric hospitalization, being burned at the stake, leeches, purges, cold baths, lemonade, laxatives, They just don't know what to do with us, do they? Look, I could go on and on about this word. There is so much research and historical data and chatter about it. This is just the tip of the hysterical iceberg. So here's my question to you. Should the word hysteria, especially when referring to women and girls, simply be retired? Well, I say no. Use it. Say what you want. You know, freedom of speech and all that. But here's the thing. With freedom comes consequences. You may call me hysterical if you really want, but you can also expect a good kick to the nuts. Now, was the vibrator developed to cure hysteria like they suggested in the movie? Well, it's really unlikely, but I'm pretty sure that it is a suitable cure for boredom, irritability, and lack of a husband. And back to Steve Price. He's that Australian doofus who called a journalist, Van Badham, hysterical on national TV. What was the outcome? Well, let's see. Soon after the incident, Badham was scheduled to appear on another show called The Project, where Steve Price is a regular on Friday nights. Now, instead of giving her the right of reply, although she was scheduled to come on for something completely unrelated, she was actually dropped as a guest on the show altogether. Clearly, this shows that it doesn't pay to be an outspoken woman on the telly. See you next time. Bye. Say What? The podcast was brought to you by me, Joe Vraka. Sound engineering by Jeff Willis. You can follow the show for free on Spotify, Apple, and all your favorite apps. Look for Say What? The podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Say What? The podcast, where I share some of my favorite and sometimes least favorite words.